Hello, I'm Adam Christopher, author of Shadow of the Sith, and you are watching or listening to Genuine Chit Chat. Hello there, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by sci-fi author Adam Christopher. Now, Adam has written Elementary, Stranger Things, and Doctor Who, but I'm most interested by his Star Wars writings. So he wrote the canon novel Shadow of the Sith, which follows Lando Calrissian and Luke Skywalker going across the galaxy, trying to find Rey's parents, Dathan and Mirmir, while also being pursued by Ochi of Bestoon and some Sith acolytes and lots of dark sidey stuff. It's a fantastic book. It's one of my favourite Star Wars novels, so I was very excited to speak to him about that. And he's also written three short stories, which are featured in the Star Wars A Certain Point of View books. So he wrote one for A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Return of the Jedi ones. Now, Adam was very generous with his time, and we spoke about his writings as a whole. Obviously, Star Wars was a big part of that. We speak about his move from New Zealand to the UK, his love of Doctor Who, dissonance in Star Wars, writing styles, mythology, all kinds of amazing things. If you are a fan of Star Wars, this is a must-listen. Whether or not you've read Adam Christopher's works, it's just a really, really interesting conversation. But if you just enjoy the wider scope of sci-fi and books anyway, you're still definitely going to find enjoyment out of this. That's going to be enough for me at the start here, friends. Aside from saying, check out the show notes for details on Adam and also other stuff that I've been up to, including other conversations I've had with other Star Wars authors, Ethan Sachs being recent, as well as George Mann, Kevin Shinnick, Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray. But also check out the video version of this conversation at youtube.com slash genuinechitschat, as well as all my other Star Wars conversations in playlists so they're easy to find. Without further ado, here is Adam Christopher. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host... Mike Burton. So my friends, I am here today with an individual who has written a lot of works across the sci-fi sphere, some his own original works, some to do with Star Wars, as well as Stranger Things and Doctor Who. He's done a lot. Basically, if you like sci-fi, you've probably heard of him in some capacity, but I am here speaking with Adam Christopher, and it's an absolute delight speaking with you, Adam. Thank you so much for making the time. Um, I want to start off um, really going really early on, uh, or earlier on in your life, is obviously you're a native from New Zealand, and you're currently living in the uk which is a godsend for <laughs> scheduling and things so much easier i don't have to worry about uh you know time zones and daylight savings and all that jazz um but if you don't mind me asking like what why did you move from new zealand to the uk was it just because you're such a big doctor who fan that you couldn't get certain episodes over in new zealand at times because i heard your john pertwee anecdote you know watching stuff in new zealand you know years after it came out in the uk am i right to assume it wasn't just for doctor who it'd be pretty well, cool if it was <laughs> Yeah, it would be cool. Maybe I should make up a new story. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of really boring in that I always wanted to live here because I like things like Doctor Who and also like history and you know archaeology and all that kind of stuff. So it seemed like a good place to be. And it was 2006 where the opportunity just came up. Um, and it's extremely boring reasons that I got a job and the job paid for us to come over. Wow. Like we shipped everything, like a whole house with stuff and everything and packed up. So it's like, well, you know, when someone makes you that kind of offer, you'd be silly not to take it out mm. because it's not just an opportunity. You know, not, not actually, not many people kind of do that kind of thing. I think, um, you know, moving countries, Especially it's just like, oh, why not? Well, yeah. And it's like one experience, like you gotta try it. Mm. Um, and it was always like, well, you know, if we didn't like it, we could always go back. Um, and we're here, and it's now like 17, <laughs> 17 years later. 
Yeah, yeah, and you obviously you pop back home, uh, you know, in uh, in October sort of time, and then yeah. back again. So back to the, the rubbish again. weather. <laughs> I, I know. I want to ask about the, the cult, just a little bit about the cultural differences, if I may, and then we'll mm. delve more into your writing and things. Is there anything in New Zealand that you like? I know I'm sure there's plenty of things, but almost like weird little things that either you prefer about the UK or that you prefer about mm. New Zealand. Well, it's kind of interesting because I think generally the UK is the closest you get to New Zealand, mm. or New Zealand is the closest you get to the UK because people obviously kind of often pair up Australia and New Zealand together, but they're actually very separate and very different countries. Um, and in a way, I mean, and having said that, there are some similarities because in a way, New Zealand is this kind of perfect mix of British stuff and American stuff. Um, so it's just kind of weird meld. I grew up with things like G.I. Joe, and Transformers and things like that, but especially G.I. Joe, which in, which was the American version. Like in the UK, it all got confused with Action Man and Action Force. So whenever I talk to people here about G.I. Joe, which I'm a fan, it gets so confusing. Um, but like, it's just, there are definite differences. And like, as you said, I was just over in New Zealand in October, which, you know, last month when we were recording this. And I do kind of miss the general... Um, chilled outness of New Zealand. Like it is very chill. Um I don't know why. I guess it always has been, but like as I get older and older, it's like I kind of miss that more. Um so it's nice to get back, you know, get back, you know, once a year and see friends and family. And it's nice to kind of um like just not worry about stuff. And but it's hard to describe if you haven't been there. And I guess doubly hard to describe if you're not actually from there. But, you know, my parents live in a small town that's, like, rural, and they're in, like, a little village, sort of. Yeah, New Zealand equivalent of a village. It's a town. Um, and the big town next to them has got, like, the most brilliant local fast food joint called it's, uh, Rua, Rua Tanifa Fast Food. Rua Tanifa means two Tanifa. And Tanifa is this, um, when I was at school, we were taught that it was a Maori uh, indigenous kind of monster legend. Mm. But they're not actually monsters. They're more like the kind of spirit that inhabits a place. Mm. So it's kind of a little more, more complicated than a monster. Anyway, for some reason, there must be a local story about two Tanifa. So anyway, getting back to this ramble. Um <laughs> And then going into this takeaway place, we're talking about fast foods. There's a lot of like the industry in that area, because it's very rural, there's a lot of logging and there's a kind of farming, you know, obviously New Zealand's very agricultural, so a lot of farming community. And like I was sitting there waiting for my like cheap Hawaiian burger. And people coming in in their socks because like you leave your muddy boots at the door because you've just come off the farm or off a logging truck. And, like, to me, there's nothing. But then I just kind of had this flashback to the UK where, like, you would never do anything like that just because I guess there's no particular need for it. But there's this kind of whole um, attitude of chilled outness. I don't know how to describe it. It's like... It's cool, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. I know that Australia and New Zealand are very different. I think maps and globes really don't help that because it makes them look like they're really close together. It's like, no, they're they're very, very far apart. It's like a five-hour flight between Auckland and Sydney. Like, it's a long way. Yeah, it's almost like from here, from the UK to um, the east coast of America, you know, it's 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 obviously a lot longer than that it's it's nearer eight hours but it can be shorter mm. and sometimes but from here to france it's like an hour but you look on the map yeah. you go, oh yeah in- england's as close to france as new zealand is to australia it's like no, no and also no, australia no. is colossal it's like the size of the united states of america so new zealand's yeah, massive yeah. as well i think people exactly. look at new zealand and go oh look at little new zealand as a part of uh, yeah. australia it's like new zealand is really yeah. really big relatively <laughs> <laughs> oh. speaking yeah yeah. Exactly. But it's yeah. nice to go back, and yeah. But also, I enjoy the UK, you know, because I get to watch Doctor Who live on TV, <laughs> which is the dream. Exactly, it's the dream, surely. <laughs> Especially with all the, you must be chomping at the bit for the the episode that's coming out in a few days, and all the, you know, the 60th anniversary specials and all that sort of stuff going on. Yeah, it's funny because I was thinking about that. Um, you mentioned in the intro, I think I edited a Doctor Who fanzine in New Zealand called TSV. Um, which won some awards and was very cool. And obviously this is, again, this is like ancient history because the idea of fanzines, this was back when, um, yeah, in New Zealand, you couldn't get Doctor Who magazine because it was like the the subscription was too expensive. And if you did find it in some kind of specialist comics shops, it was six months out of date because it came by boat. So you had like pen pals, in the UK, which he wrote letters to, this is like before even dial-up internet. So the idea of a kind of black and white photocopied A5 fanzine that you'd put together with Letraset and photocopier and then post out to people. Um, but anyway, so the 50th anniversary, because I've got like a huge kind of collection of my stuff from TSV, um, the Bradford media museum can't really call it national media museum or something they were doing a 50th anniversary exhibition of doctor who stuff and it was about it was about fandom rather than the program so i got in touch with them and i lent them kind of my boxes of tsvs and all kind of stuff and then this is like this is why i was remembering it because it's 10 years ago i can't believe so I, i went up there for like this big launch thing and it's a really good ex- exhibition, I and mean, amongst all my all the stuff, I'd like my copy of TSV and the little award thing that I won um, with a little label, like in the museum, you know, properly like a historic exhibit. Um, so that was super weird. That was ten years ago, which is which is also even weirder because I remember it. And this is again a sign of I'm getting older. Like I remember it like it was yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> and now the speaker is the 60th anniversary. And yeah. we get a new, you know, new Doctor Who. Amazing. It's incredible. And speaking of Doctor Who, I wanted to ask, obviously, with you, you edited a lot of TSV as well. And that's almost, I know you've been writing basically your entire life. And you were writing, you know, fan fiction when you were younger. And I know the story of you submitting, um, I believe it was the Doctor Who story. And then it got rejected. And then you're like, I need to, I need to try, try a little bit harder right. with this writing thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love hearing about all those sort of things, but I'm interested if, do you think the editing of the magazine itself helped lend to your start-up in writing? You know, obviously yourself, when you had that rejection, it really kind of, you know, kicked you up the bum a little bit. But did you find editing maybe helped the writing process or anything like that? I think it probably did in terms of um, 
getting the kind of discipline of work, which kind of sounds a bit weird, but what I mean is, um, you know, writing can be difficult, especially like, you know, when I started out, I, was, I had a day job, as every writer does. So I had to, when I wrote Empire State, which is my, well, that is the third manuscript I wrote, but when I was doing the first three kind of full length, book length manuscripts, which was more to um, find out if I could even do something that long, because I've been writing, as I said, to do fan fiction, but they were all kind of short stories and even just like flash fiction. So could I even write a whole book length novel? Um, but I, I got up at five in the morning to do to do my writing. And then when I got home at five in the evening, I would do another hour's worth of work. And the thing with TSV was, I don't, not so much, not so much editing itself, because editing, because TSV was like, I mean, it's like Doctor Magazine, it's, it's non-fiction, so it was, you know, features, interviews, reviews, there was, you know, short fiction in it. Um, but it was more the fact that when I was doing that, and again, this actually overlapped with moving to, to the UK, because I was doing the last couple of issues while I was here, um, and it was that kind of that self self imposed deadlines of getting an awful lot of stuff done in a, in a very quick turnaround, you know, because TSV is a is a fanzine, but there were subscribers and they were waiting for the next issue, and each issue was like a hundred pages, so quite a lot of work. Because I also did the layout and design as well, mm. um, so there was a lot of work to do. And you kind of had to sit down and do it. And I think that helped with when it came to, like, as you said, I, was, I decided to kind of take writing seriously. Um, and the main obstacle to that is sitting down and doing the work when you don't want to do it. Um, you know, you can't just wait for the muse to magically appear if someone was waiting for something. It's a job. You have to, take, you have to, to do the work. So yeah, definitely, I learned a lot, and I think that it's funny. This is going to sound even stranger. Doing that, and also Twitter in the early days, because when I joined Twitter, which was like two thousand eight, I think um, there was a hundred. What was the original character again? Like one hundred and forty-four. If one hundred forty, yeah, it's barely yeah. anything. Yeah. So what I would do, this is in the old days when it was actually quite good and useful, and you could funnel that, um, like. The conciseness of tweets, um, because I, again, I have this terrible problem of procrastination where it's like, okay, I'm doing writing as I'm treating it as a job and taking it really seriously, but I'm also spending every free moment on Twitter avoiding doing any work. But like the whole conciseness of social media um, really helped, which again, when I say that, it sounds weird because it's like, what am I comparing writing to tweets? Which is ridiculous, but like self-editing. To be fair, it's self-editing. Yeah, yeah. So it's a kind of the discipline of work and the kind of self-editing and using the whole thing about writing is like using as few words as possible. Mm. Um, certainly, in the early days of social media, that was really the thing. So yeah, it's kind of weird beginnings, but I think they helped. 
Yeah, and linking in with that, I've I've got it noted. Um, I, to clarify, I do my own research. So it's not someone hasn't given me these. I've been listening to a lot of you talking. <laughs> I'm very uh, impressed. That's very good. So it's it's one of those because I don't. When you see me looking at my notes, I don't want you thinking I don't know this because uh, my own. It's more so reading my own scraggly handwriting that I've written in different color pens. Um, but I noted something that I heard you say in one podcast, which was. After your Doctor Who submission was rejected, you started listening to very early podcasts and reading newsletters. And in fact, uh, one of them was by Michael Stackpole, who any fans of Star Wars Legends, I know you're a big fan of Star Wars Legends. Um, he obviously was the writer of the first, I believe, four X-Wing slash Rogue Squadron novels, as well as a few others. Um, and then <clears throat> I've also got um, Malafferty, um, which was, she did the solo novelization, if I'm correct in thinking that. So these individuals who you know sort of pre-podcast before that was really a big thing you actually you learn from them and also obviously the solo novelization was post the canon reset but obviously michael stackpole was you know even pre the prequels so it's interesting that from you learning from those two individuals and then you go forward like several years really that there's a connection there to star wars and i know you've always really had this connection to star wars as well so like reading your star wars work you can really you can feel the passion coming out of it. So I'm just interested if you could tell us a little bit more about that, listening to podcasts, reading newsletters and things about those two individuals, because it's something I don't yeah. hear that often. So, yeah, um, that thing that happened, so it wasn't actually, it wasn't a Doctor Who novel. Mm. It was, um, there was a publisher, science fiction publisher in the UK that did like an open submission window, mm, which is like, yeah, because most publishers require a writer to have an agent. But sometimes some of them will have this kind of window where it's like, well, you could just, you know, anybody could submit something, um, you know, for this month and they'll take a look. So what I had done was at the same like at the same time as moving from New Zealand to the UK, I submitted a proposal. Now again, this is before I had written my kind of first three kind of like can I even do it manuscripts. All I had done was like Doctor Who fan fiction, really. Some other stuff as well, um, like at high school and stuff. But I was so convinced that they would love it and commission a novel and it would be amazing and that would be the start of everything. I was like completely convinced because I was clearly like this extremely talented writer who was a genius. Um, and when I moved to the UK, having sent it just before, when I got here, then obviously the rejection came. And that was the kind of thing of like this kind of realization. It's like, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. You can't just you can't just think you're a writer and wait for things to come to you. You have to work for it because everything requires work. Hard work. Everything requires hard work. Um, so that is what you mentioned. Is that kind of switch that kind of flipped in my brain? It's like, wait a second, I'm doing it wrong. I need to I need to take it seriously. So part of that was sitting down to write a manuscript. It's like, can I even do a novel? So let's try. And then while doing that was finding podcasts. So, I mean, this was 2006. So podcasting was quite newish, I think. Um, and it had a good community of like science fiction and fantasy writers because it was kind of small. So, yeah, so Michael Stackpole did a podcast called The Secrets, which was about writing and publishing, because obviously he's a hugely experienced author. Uh, like I said, Star Wars, but also Battletech and his own fantasy novels. 
He's also written World of Warcraft and all kinds of stuff. And he had a newsletter that went, that went with him called The Secrets. And then Mer Lafferty did, I think, um, You Should Be Writing. And you should be writing? You should be writing. No, you should be writing. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, but again, because she was at that point, she hadn't been published. And she was a, someone like me who was a writer trying to get in and trying to figure it out. And she kind of did a podcast that um, kind of charted her journey. So, you know, if I'm taking it seriously, I have to kind of listen to people that know what they're talking about. So I listen to those. And it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like years later, well, Michael Stackpole is one of the great Star Wars Legends authors. Um, I've had the, you know, I was on a podcast with him last year with uh, Brian Young, another author. And it's like, we just, I finally got to relay that whole story of how, like, how I had listened to the secrets and how that was actually what kind of spurred me on to um, get published. Which was the point of his podcast. He's like, you know, the whole thing was like, these are the, this is the secrets, like um, how to, you know, get closer. The, the kind of tagline at the beginning was like how to get closer to seeing your name on the side of the book, because then it was impossible. It's like you can't get an agent. That's that's like impossible, and then you can't get published. It's impossible because there are a bajillion people who want agents and who want authors and who think they can write, and like maybe I'm just one of them. Um. So yeah, and then obviously I was, became friends with Mira as well, and then she wrote the solo novelization. Um, she's also written World of Warcraft, and she's got her own amazing original novels, and she's written Minecraft, I think. Um, yeah, we kind of stuck it out, and here we are. And like Michael Stackpole, you know, I kind of I put in references to him in Shadow of the Sith mm. as a kind of tribute, because it's like, well, I loved his X-Wing books. Um I think the, the X-Wing books are kind of my favourite Star Wars novels. Mm. And I was like, I've got to put them into, I've got to put him into Shadow of the Sith somehow. Uh, which I did. I think he was pleased. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, Shadow of the Sith, you know, I I tweeted about it after I read it. Uh, well, I, I say read it. I listened to it on audiobook. I've got it physically there. But what I normally do is I, I read the, I've been reading The High Republic physically, and then I listen to most other things in audiobook form because I want to consume so much Star Wars content. I need to, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, audio in this one. But I listened to it on audiobook, and I was like, this is so good that I need to physically own it. So I bought it, wow. and I got it specifically <laughs> in a hardback as well. I was like, this is, and I want to have it because. A, I want to be able to lend it to people as well um, and get them to read it, but also, you know, double the sales, support. And I remember tweeting oh, out and saying you. how amazing it was. And it, I legitimately believe it is one of the, not only the best canon novels, but I believe it's one of the best novels in all of Star Wars. And it's, you've mentioned it saying, you know, it's you've kind of viewed it as um, a 6.5, like episode 6.5, because it, you know, sits yeah. in a sweet spot. And the, the scale of it all and how epic it is, it's just fantastic. And one element of the book is pride now i want to ask you a little bit about pride because obviously your certain point of view story in uh, return of the jedi is centering around pride the steadfast soldier um and then obviously pride has he's not like a main main character in shadow of the sith but he definitely has quite a bit of uh screen time as it were page time and so what was it about pride that initially intrigued you i assume it was richard e grant's fantastic performance but like yeah. I, I love hearing why people so everyone's got their own you know, favorite smaller star wars character they kind of gravitate towards for some reason or another i'm sure you have plenty but what was it about <laughs> pride that made you because I've, I've looked it up and things and really apart from a couple of very minor comic appearances 
outside of the rise of skywalker you're pretty much the only person who's written him in any real depth so you are essentially responsible for outside of rise of skywalker like branching off his story so what about pride <laughs> yeah. really intrigued you well it was originally grant for, for sure um firstly because he was kind of like the rise of skywalker when i saw it in the movies was full of surprises for me because i'm uh, richard e grant he's one of my favorite actors um I mean, I knew he was going to be in it because obviously Pride was, you know, I don't know if he was in the trailers, but I knew he was in it. But he's like, really, he's really good. Of course, he's Richard T. Grant. Of course, he's good. Um, and it had, I mean, the biggest surprise was Jodie Comer as Ray's mum. Even though you see her for like five seconds, remember, yeah, you see her for five seconds, but I just like let that in my seat because I'd loved her in Killing Eve. Um, and she's just one of my favorite actors so that was my second surprise but pride is um i just kind of latched onto him because i love the fact that he appears out of nowhere it's like it's either a good thing or a bad thing it's like he's and, and he's in charge like somehow he's in charge somehow palpatine returns somehow pride's in charge so he's clearly so important that he was doing stuff during Force Awakens and Last Jedi that we don't see. He's busy. He's a busy guy being in charge. And then he comes back to the Rise of Skywalker and finds, you know, Kylo and um, General Hux arguing with each other. And what I liked about it is he doesn't really take any nonsense from Kylo Ren. Like, everyone is scared of Kylo Ren. And, you know, the very first scene where he walk, Kylo walks into the kind of the the meeting room and everyone's like really afraid and he you know force strangles that guy on the ceiling but pride is just sitting there and he's just like he's the boss um so i thought for the for shadow the surf because obviously although it's a you know it's a it's a sequel prequel it's like it's a prequel to all of all three of the sequel movies although it probably ties in more to the Rise of Skywalker specifically because it's that journey that Lando mentions in Rise of Skywalker with Ochi. So I sort of wanted to um, strengthen those connections to the Rise of Skywalker. So, so obviously I knew the book was going to be um, Ray's parents as the main characters um, who we first see in the Rise of Skywalker, and we first see Ochi of Bestoon in the Rise of Skywalker, and we first see Lando in the Rise of Skywalker. So I wanted to use something that, again, came from the Rise of Skywalker, and Pride seems like an obvious choice. Because, again, if he was busy doing stuff during Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and he's Allegiant General, whatever that means, then he's got some kind of big history which goes back to the old Empire. So, okay, well, Shadow of the Sith is set something like 13 years, I think, before The Force Awakens. So clearly, it's that, that kind of genesis of the First Order that we don't see, we don't know much about. Although I knew that um, it had already been established that the corporate sector authority were funding the Imperial Remnant for their own nefarious reasons, um, which was established in one of Greg Rucker's um, sort of junior Star Wars books that led that up to the Force Awakens. So I kind of knew that. So I kind of put it all together. And Pride seemed um, 
kind of an obvious choice. And I love the fact that although pride is relatively minor, is minor in both Shadow of the Sith and in The Rise of Skywalker, he's, and this is a spoiler, but like he's kind of responsible for the death of Ray's parents because they are the one, the, his, his officer puts the tracker on Ochi's ship and then pride is the one that tells Ochi where the ship is. So it kind of all comes back to like it's all pride's fault, mm-hmm. like the whole the whole thing. Um, but then I had this idea. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Whistler Lie, which is Richard E. Grant's, I think his first movie, and it's Paul McGann. And, you know, they play this pair of out of work actors in the, you know, the 60s. They're kind of, and Richard E. Grant's character, which is Whistler, is this kind of alcoholic mess who is just, he's hilarious. It's like, it's a, you know, it's a black comedy, but and like he's hilarious and completely broken. And he had that kind of, there's an anger inside him that I think Pride has. So I kind of wrote Pride as with Nile in space <laughs> because that's how he was. General Pride and the Rise of Skywalker, to me, seems to have something, seems to be the same kind of character where he's kind of been through a crisis at some point in his life. But through kind of self-discipline, he's in willpower, he's kind of turned it around. Um, so now he's kind of in control, and he's kind of worked his way to the top, but he knows what a what a struggle it was to get up that ladder. Um, and he's aware, he's kind of aware of his own kind of background and whatever, whether it's a tragedy or calamity or some personal change trauma that he got over. So I kind of applied that to pride in the same way that like Withnail, if you watch Withnail and I, like it's got quite a sad ending, but they have two things, either Withnail destroys himself or he over, he gets over his kind of situation. Now we don't know because the film finishes, but I thought, well, yeah, pride has gone through the same kind of character transformation. Um, yeah, so he's in Rise of Skies, he's in um, Shadow of the South, and he's in my Return of the Jedi story. Because again, we're kind of going backwards through his timeline. It's like, well, we've seen, we saw him in Rise of Skywalker where he gets blown up in the Star Destroyer. <laughs> then we see him earlier in Shadow of the Sith where he's kind of working with the corporate sector to um, kind of leading up to the First Order. And then well, he's in Return of the Jedi somewhere, so I put him into the Return of the Jedi because. He's this kind of lifelong imperial career officer. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the Return of the Jedi story, Sid by Soldier, is the kind of first signs where he's got this kind of plan of what he wants his life to be and how he sees his kind of glorious service to the Empire. And then obviously things change at the Battle of Endor, and I think that's the first instance where he has this kind of realization of what could happen and what he could do. Um, it kind of goes to his head a little bit. But, yeah, and I guess I am the kind of the pride guy because he's like a minor character. He does, he's going to appear next year in some comics, mm. in the Darth Vader comic, Ooh. which I'm kind of interested to see because, again, that's set 
even earlier. That's between, I think it's between Empire and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I've I've read um, all the all the canon Marvel stuff, and linking in you mentioned right. Ochi of Bestoon. <clears throat> you know, obviously Shadow of the Sith, the Ochi stuff yeah. links with what we saw in the Darth Vader um, right. twenty twenty stuff by. Um, uh, Greg Pack as well with the whole, you know, eyes burning out because of the looking at this giant Kyber crystal and actually exactly, going to Exegol, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Like I was going to say, Ochi as well is a character who I saw him in the um, obviously seen Rise of Skywalker a little bit, and you're like, eh, don't know much about him. Then in Shadow <laughs> of the Sith, you're like, God, this guy is unbearable. But really, he's really like enthralling in a storyline. You know, you get those characters that you hate but you love to see. Mm. He's one of those. He's like everywhere you go, you cause chaos and misery. But you're a great always storytelling device, and just his desire and the blade and everything like that. And I, I want to ask you, sort of, uh, this is as open ended uh, as answer this as open ended as you want, but. How does dissonance in Star Wars lend itself to your writing? Now, the reason I mention that is because you very much like uh, dark side stuff. Not purely, you know, but Shadow of the Sith, you've got a lot of dissonance. You've got uh, Kiza and Luke. You've got the dark and the light. And um, you've kind of got Komat in the middle to some degree as well. You've obviously got Ochi and then you've got Miramir and Dathan. And you've kind of got this these warring factions in a way. And I know that's very Star Warsy anyway, but I, I wondered if you yourself had consciously thought about the dissonance there or if that's just something you like to write because i know a lot of your other writings there's there's a lot of darkness to things which i i really appreciate because i like that kind of stuff <laughs> but i just wondered on your thoughts on that yeah i guess you know when i played with my star wars action figures it was always the imperial uh and the bounty hunters and all three and of your char- characters so point of view books are all from imperial perspectives that's as well <laughs> interesting yeah and it's funny because, like, that wasn't really a conscious choice either. I mean, it must have been an unconscious choice. I mean, Pride was definitely, I was going to do a Pride story. It's like, oh, if we're going to be in the third anthology, it's going to be Pride. Just to shake things up. <laughs> and then, because um, for Empire Strikes Back, I came in quite late to that because I was doing a Mandalorian novel, which got cancelled, but it kind of, contracts got kind of tied together so i kind of came in late and what they wanted was that scene where you know vader and luke had that confrontation in cloud city but the whole point of from a certain point of view is that like it's from someone else's point of view and it's like there's nobody else in that scene it's like the most famous scene in, in movie history and there's no one else there so i sort of you know challenge accepted them and managed to crowbar in a character yeah, but again, use the wind yeah. to make them miss certain things as well. Yeah, cleverly, like, so they didn't well, quite yeah. hear the father line. Yeah. There's a little bits and pieces. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think the first one, Star Wars: New Hope. Um, that might have been a suggestion because obviously that's a great scene where Han has that conversation. So it's like, well, what's on the other end of it? So I kind of jumped at that one. But yeah, all three kind of imperial stories. Um, I think Star Wars. Is such a huge mythology, and like I say, mythology because if you think of it in the kind of mythic terms, then classic myth is very often, not always, very often, you know, dark and light, good and evil, um hugely powerful forces on both sides and in fact a lot of classical classical myths like greek and stuff it's like it's super dark it's kind of weird and also like super dark and um 
that's also kind of interesting. So, like, if Star Wars, Star Wars has a mythology in itself, and what I love about what I love about new canon is we kind of don't know so much about certain periods of Star Wars history in the galaxy. And those legends went into it quite a bit. But in new canon, it's like there's hints and mentions and references, and there's some characters, you know. Hu Yang has been around for 25,000 years. Um, that kind of reference to stuff. And the shadow of the Sith, I wanted that kind of epic mythological quality. And the good thing about that is you can kind of keep it non-specific. It's like, okay, well, X and Panchard, who is this kind of Sith spirit that inhabits this helmet there's flashbacks to when he was alive and it's almost like a medieval sort of fantasy thing but like was was it a thousand years ago was it ten thousand years ago was that a hundred thousand years ago um was another thing like he's not darth panchard he's he's viceroy x and panchard it's like was he even a sith or was he kind of this kind of sith um tangential kind of power dark side even his lightsaber is um curved you know it's not like it's just a here's a kyber crystal and you make a lightsaber it's like it's a kind of weird mythological lightsaber and, and that so, links with george mann's dark ex- legends well, which yes. is mythos within mythos within mythos yeah. which i really like yeah. as well well which is interesting because like with those george mann things done in three mm-hmm. uh, dark legends is what i kind of borrowed from yeah. and so with those and with the legends expanded universe novels what i like to think is that those are the stories that people in star wars tell and like in our own world like okay maybe they happened maybe they didn't happen maybe they happened in a different way or maybe the story has got garbled over the generations and it's become this new thing which is why I also in Shadow of the Sith I kind of peppered in kind of little bits of legends things here and there because it's kind of like well maybe they won't maybe that did happen maybe that character does exist not necessarily in the way that we know from legends but there's a hint there that actually perhaps that whole kind of that window into that particular slice of the Star Wars universe exists and we can see into it a little bit um but it kind of yeah it just kind of felt epic and and Star Wars again is like it's a mythology, but also it fits so many different genres. And you know, we love well, like look at the original one, like A New Hope. It's kind of like it's a it's a, it's a science fiction movie, but it's also a fantasy, it's also a western, it's a samurai movie, it's a kind of pulp sci-fi serial, it's a kind of nineteen thirties swashbuckling Zorro story. And that's why it works because it has all these different genres kind of mashed together and <clears throat> things like horror which i'm kind of drawn to as a genre can be applied to something like star wars and some of the best bits of star wars like with darth vader or the sith is like we get completely horrified and terrified by these things which suddenly take you from this science fiction movie into kind of this weird fantasy you know, science fantasy and especially because the rise of skywalker has a lot of that kind of elements in it i mean you know the emperor is sort of undead and there's a kind of walking corpse 
and then he gets kind of resurrected into this extremely evil version of Palpatine. Um, and the idea of, of cultists and ancient knowledge and artifacts and things kind of layers on this fantastical kind of strata of the Star Wars galaxy, which is really cool because you can also have kind of Top Gun in space, like the X-Men books, or romance, or kind of crime thriller, or whatever. Um, and because Shadow of the Sith had to be more than just the story of Ochi chasing um, Faith and Miramir and trying to get Rey, it had to be a bigger story because obviously Luke and Lando could never resolve that storyline because we know that they didn't. So there had to be something else that was kind of like a like a, almost like a distraction for Luke, which is a shadow that was looming in the Force. Um, but yeah, I kind of like I like dark stuff. I like the stuff that I like. No, it's just so intriguing. I mean, one of the things I'm a fan of both canon and legends. I came, you know, I used to watch Star Wars a lot with my dad, and I played a lot of the video games. And then um, when The Force Awakens, Dad passed away about a decade ago, and The Force Awakens came out and it kind of reignited my love of Star Wars. And I was like, I'm going to get really. I've heard a lot of good things about Star Wars literature. I started <laughs> off with canon, and then I've I've been receding. That's why here and behind uh, Return of the Jedi. This the some of the Essentials Legends collection because that's oh, how cool. I've been delving yeah, in. Yeah. So Heir to the Empire, the Darth Bane books, uh, Rogue Squadron there, the first the X Wing. Like there's lots of different legends stuff I've tackled. But one of the ways I kind of think about Star Wars when you mentioned about it being a mythos is I in my mind, I view it very similar to that. I go, okay, the way Legends and Canon exists, in my mind, is yeah, the the six movies, in a sense, that's just like the events that occurred that no one disputes. And then um just over the however long ago it was, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, the whispers across the galaxy or galaxies has made it so oh one story is the legends and one story is canon. And sometimes there's little tiny contradictions in in within canons or legend continuity but for me i'm like what's that modern mythos if you go through greek mythology or norse mythology the fine tooth comb you're gonna find certain things that may not fully add up just because of the age of it all and one of the things i wanted to note was actually and you kind of answered this which was um are you interested in real life mythos because of your love of dark side artifacts and because using the mythos from george man's dark legends and your know, shadow of the sith it is a lot of that you know back at some point you know, this um, Viteri X uh, something Panchard was doing all these crazy stuff. So, judging by your response there, you are intrigued also by Greek and Norse mythology and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think so. Um, and this is what makes Star Wars so amazing, and that it's probably the greatest, the greatest modern mythology mm. that exists. Um, and it's non-linear, so you can jump around and add back and forth, which I like. This is the other thing. It's almost unique. Like the only other thing I can think of is kind of Doctor Who. Mm. Like for example, Marvel, whether it's comics or the cinematic universe, I think the cinematic universe for Marvel, like it's huge, obviously, and there's an enormous mythology all of its own, and it has a universe all of its own. But really, it's a it's linear storytelling, with a few exceptions. Like obviously, Captain America, the first movie was set, you know. World War Two, and then it jumps forward, and things like I think um, Captain Marvel is like mm-hmm. set in the nineties. I think yeah. uh, Agent Carter again was kind of like 
1940s. So there's bits and pieces where they've gone back and forth, but generally it's kind of ongoing linear storytelling. Um, even Doctor Who is kind of Doctor Who's a bit different because you can almost treat each Doctor as a separate character, kind of, which means it's much easier. Also, being a time traveling concept, it's much easier to kind of slot stuff in and go back and forth. So in Doctor Who, and you know, I started writing Doctor Who fan fiction. It's like you can concurrently have ongoing adventures with different Doctors at different points in the whole mythos of Doctor Who. Well, Star Wars is really interesting because like the, you know, the Nine movies, the original trilogy, and then the prequels, and then the sequels are three distinct different time periods. And now I've got like the High Republic. And um, in Legends continuity, we had you know, the Old Republic mm. and, and things like that. It's like the fact that Star Wars exists in these distinct time zones, each of which is an ongoing storyline. It's kind of really amazing. Um, you know, and Shadow is kind of peculiar because it's set right in the middle of that big gap, which we know nothing about, really, between, you know, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. So, yeah, getting back to the whole question about mythology, it's like that makes it the perfect kind of storytelling universe where you can do mythological stuff. Yeah. Um, I love... Yeah, and again, this is kind of Doctor Who geek and then Star Wars geek. It's like if I can stick in references to anything, I mean, without being ridiculous, or use things again because you've got these different time periods and different kind of types of storytelling. If I can, if I can use stuff which kind of makes other fans, um, I don't know, laugh's the right word. If they recognise it, you know, I understood that reference kind of thing. Which I didn't, you know, which again is that borderline between fan fiction and real fiction, real fiction. Um, that he described it, you know, indulging my kind of playing with the action figures type thing as a Star Wars fan versus you know, producing a book that people actually want to read. <laughs> That's, you know, those are two different things. Um, but people pick but, up yeah. on that. It's, you know, I know that obviously Kevin Scott and George Mann, you know, they're both uh, British writers and they're obviously writing a lot for Star Wars at the moment. They wrote a lot for Doctor Who as well. And they're massive Doctor Who fans. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Star Wars and Doctor Who, I mean, Mike Chen in his uh, Brotherhood novel, he even wrote in there that it's rumoured that Hu Yang was delivered <laughs> by a, a random person in a blue yeah, box. And blue he's box. just like, maybe it's yeah. Doctor Who, maybe not. It's not specific enough so people can tell you it's not, but it's just vague yeah. enough that when you read it, you go, that is so cool. And just little things it's like kind of that. Just, it's just fun. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it is. It's yeah. meant to be. Yeah, it's basically entertainment, um, and it's kind of fun. But again, you have to draw the line, you know. Yeah. You just got to be some of the worst, and this Doctor Who's terrible for this, and I was one of the worst <laughs> examples of, like, where the fan fiction is so dense and so filled with continuity references that you kind of, no one would have a clue what you're talking about. Um, that's, that's where it kind of goes, goes wrong. And again, I'm guilty of that. My Doctor Who fan fiction is like, oof. <laughs> You're like self-referencing and self-referencing and self-referencing and it becomes oh. such a chain. It's just like, yeah, and yeah. that's one thing. What's, like, the most obs- yeah. What's the most obscure Doctor Who alien that I can mention? Not only mention, but plays a pivotal story role because you, you must know 
the script for the underwater menace from 1967 off by heart <laughs> if, you're, if you're a true fan yeah which is another thing i love about star wars so much is that, like I, I consume you know the marvel content and obviously I'm, star wars is my main sort of fiction love but what i love about it is you can just dip in and out you know i'm trying my best to consume as much canon content as possible but with, with the mcu it's basically like the movies you more or less have to watch them all you know, they say you don't have to but everyone kind of does by maybe missing one or two the series then add to that as well and friends of mine have said oh there's so much star wars so, yeah, but the, most of it isn't actually intertwined you know you've got a bit of the mandoverse going on mm-hmm. but you've got the mandoverse in one corner you've got and or over in another corner you've got what's going on with the future of the movies and you've got all the other literature and stuff and like you, you mentioned it earlier and it was there's so many different genres and I know that you're quite interested in the crime and the mystery thriller, and Shadows of the Sith really utilizes elements of that as well. And being able to utilize the different genres, just like, as you said, you know, the especially A New Hope um, really did, I think it's, it's really invaluable, you know, the merging of genres. And I like, because like, Kevin Scott's also a big fan of horror as well, and he likes mm-hmm. to utilize that in his writing. And so I really like hearing about authors who obviously, as you've said numerous times, you can't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to write Star Wars, and then just get the gig you have to write essentially your own stuff to prove you can create a a fictional universe in a way and then the door kind of opens in that regard but i love that all different authors they're all adding something different to the star wars universe of all the content i've read some lean a little bit more on the romance some lean a bit more on horror and i think with shadow of the sith obviously as it's the only full star wars novel um that currently exists uh, of yours (laughs) as well as the, the short stories fingers crossed there's more in the future um but with that that crime thriller element i really really enjoyed that kind of cat and mouse story even though you know what's going to happen loosely but the way you wrote it with the characters was so interesting so as we start to wrap up i did want to know a little bit more about your writing process for lando like i know um there's the last shot by daniel jose older that's out in that period as well but lando content in the canon is so slim at the moment i think they're holding cast their chest because there's that lando series that as soon as someone forgets about it something else rises and you know we really want that (laughs) because lando's such a cool character i wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about the writing process for Lando in itself, did you just get to rewatch all his scenes over and over again in episode five and six? Or like, how did you kind of channel it? Because when I was reading that or listening to the audiobook, I was like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, this is an interpretation of Lando. I was like, to the to the word, this feels so much like Lando. And that scene with the capes and the flashback, and is it, that app, you didn't have to be so mean that, you know, I read that and I was like, oh God, it's so sad, but so, so like wholesomely sad at the same time. So I just want to hear a bit about you, Lando, really. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, he was interesting because I knew from the start that this was an opportunity to write an existing Star Wars character, one of the main characters, and actually develop him in ways that you don't see on screen. Like normally you do tie-ins up on Stranger Things and Elementary and Star Wars and stuff, Doctor Who. It's like, yeah, you can't, like Luke Skywalker, you can't really change Luke Skywalker. He's Luke Skywalker. Um, when I did the Elementary books, which is like modern day Sherlock Holmes, Lucy, Lucy Lou and Tony Miller, those, those books had to fit into the TV seasons. So whatever happened to those characters, I kind of had to put them back exactly where they were when I started. And that's often the case with kind of licensed fiction because like it's not yours and it's going to fit in with all kinds of other stuff. But here I was like, well, hang on a second. Like Lando is like, we know where he is in the Rise of Skywalker. 
we know where we left him in Return of the Jedi. And these kind of terrible tragedies happened between the two, which you don't see. Like, okay, there's a bit of books, some comics. Um, so I was like, well, clearly, what would what would a person like Lando be like if all these terrible things happened to him? And here was the chance to actually develop the character in a new way. Uh, in a kind of meaningful way, because obviously he's changed. Now, Luke has changed as well, because again, we see, you know, we know Luke very well, and we know what happened with Ben and all that kind of stuff, and we know where he ends up in Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah, absolutely, there's a character progression there as well. But he's much, at this point in the kind of Star Wars Skywalker saga, we kind of know where he's at and what's happening and he's rebuilding Jedi Order and he's training Jedi and he's before Ben turns and Luke is this kind of self-taught Jedi almost. He had Yoda training, but he doesn't know anything about the Jedi Order really. Like he was never a Padawan. He never experienced a Jedi Council, anything like that. But with Lando, it's like one of his daughters has been kidnapped. He can't find her. It's been six years. He's kind of on his own. He was a kind of, you know, gambler, scoundrel, businessman, you know, the administrator of Cloud City, um, adventurer and kind of playboy and all these things that we know about Lando. It's like, well, what happened to him? You know, he's living in a, in a kind of machine in the desert in the Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah, it was really kind of interesting. And again, like with any tie-in book, with any kind of licensed fiction, and this is again why it's kind of perhaps hard to get into, because as you say, publishers are really looking for people that mm, know what they're doing, but like can work to incredible deadlines and under a lot of pressure. Not only crafting an original story that, that makes sense with kind of, you know, story logic and narrative and character progression, but that uses stuff from an existing universe and still fits into it. And to do that, you kind of really have to focus on character. So I'm pleased that you say that Lando was kind of Lando in Shadow of the Sith, because these, like Lando and Luke, and other, those kind of legacy Star Wars characters, people have known them and loved them for like 40 years. Like, they know these characters like nothing else. So if you kind of get it wrong, then people will notice instantly. And I kind of, I had this, I mean, I've said this all my time, stuff. So I think Stranger Things was kind of a big one because it focuses so much on, I mean, it's Hopper's, you know, Chief Hopper's book. So that, in that instance, it was a matter of study, and Eleven's in it as well, but like studying David Harbour mm. as, as, Hopper. Especially in the early seasons, I imagine, where he was yeah, like, well, because it's like, Eleven yeah. warmed him. Because if anything is kind of like wrong with that character and the way that I portray him, it's like the whole thing's going to fall apart. And it's exactly the same with Star Wars. Like, okay, we've got Luke and Lando. And this is the challenge. It's like, well, they're Luke and Lando in a kind of different place to what we saw them. And Lando is the more extreme kind of divergence. But it was good because I had these two characters who were actually so different. And 
who have gone off in kind of different directions because you know Luke is so focused on the Jedi and his temple and reestablishing the order, and also he's got this real incredible awareness of his own abilities and power because he's basically at this point a powerful Jedi. But he knows exactly how that can go wrong because he's got this first-hand experience of Vader. So he's got this thread of self-doubt, which is not, it's like it's there in the shadow, it's somewhere in the background, because he's always kind of judging what to do, what he should do, what he could do. And ultimately, we know that that kind of trage- trajectory of that, which leads to the, the, you know, Ben turning and the kind of destruction of the temple and then him kind of cutting himself off from the force. And then Lando has gone in this other direction because he's gone from the galactic adventurer to someone on a mission, this obsession to find his daughter, because, you know, which has completely destroyed his life, as it would. And when we meet him in Shadow of the Sith, like, he's, you know, he's, he's being Lando, he's in a, in a kind of gambling den and being the Lando that we can imagine. But that's only because he falls back into that because he can control the situation. Like, his life is out of control. Like, it's falling apart out of control. But the way he can kind of get that control back is to just fall back into the old habits and routines and behaviours because, like, he is the master of that domain when he's playing Sabak and, like, pulling a swindle um, and sweet-talking an alien and all this kind of stuff. Um. So kind of like, and because Luke is so different, mm. I think it really helped that these two characters could meet at this point years after Return of the Jedi. Um, because even in like Return of the Jedi, they don't share any dialogue together. And you point out in the they book, don't even. There's, there's like a, almost a little interaction in the book where it's like we kind of know each other. We're kind of, kind of yeah, our friends in the middle. We got Han and Leia kind of in the middle, and we're on the opposite sides. Because even in you know Empire, they. There's no connection there until Lando's... It's interesting. Until yeah. Han's gone. And yet, of course, Lando risked his life to rescue Luke from Jabba's palace. It's like someone described it to me as... It's not very good. It's like, imagine if you work in an office, and it's a big office, and you're friends with everybody, and it's really great. And then, like, you go to a social function, and kind of you end up with that work colleague that it turns out you've spoken to, like, once. <laughs> Like you know them, you see them every day, and you kind of think it's all part of the team. And then it's like the kind of awkwardness. It's like you actually don't know each other at all, and you kind of like strangers. Because especially in New Canon, it's like well, you know, Luke and Lando really had hardly any interaction. Um, which again, when the Rise of Skywalker, one of the surprises when I saw it at the movies is like when Lando comes out with that story. It's like oh yeah, me and Luke were chasing Ochi Bastoon. My first thought was, what do you mean, you and Luke? Like, why Why would you go with Luke? Like, the two characters that would not kind of do anything together. Um, but actually a really good decision because it made for a really good kind of character dynamic. Mm. Um, and I'm glad it came across. You know, if you say that Lando is Lando on the page, then that's kind of my job done, really. Yeah, it, it was Probably my favourite part. Like, I like Luke, don't get me wrong. I, 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 Luke's cool. It's hard not to like him, but he is quite one note, and he's meant to be, because he's, he's mm. Luke Skywalker, you know. Whereas Lando, I, I like characters a bit more morally grey, and, you know, Lando and Han, you know, kind of complement themselves uh, in that kind of way. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, Shadow of the Sith again. Like, we'll start to wrap up here. But Shadow of the Sith again. I've said before on numerous podcasts uh, when I haven't been speaking to you that it's one of my favorite Star Wars books that exists. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's got so much to it, and the way you described it is almost Episode Six Point Five. I'd agree with you. I think it's it's one <laughs> yeah. of those must reads. And the beauty of it, as much as I'm a big fan of the High Republic, as I've got the ball, is that with Shadow of the Sith you don't even have to have seen the sequels i don't know why you wouldn't have but you know one can literally just watch the original trilogy and read shadow of the sith and never have touched any other star wars content and i think it's a perfect entry-level book and in some of the facebook groups and uh, occasional twitter threads and things when people ask me for recommendations of you know or they ask the world and i chime in uh, of what recommendations for star wars books that aren't in a big series that have to do loads of background reading for i always say shadow of the sith and lost stars i think those two um you know, lost stars by claudia gray i think they work so well if the more con- the more content you know the, the kind of better they are in some ways but if you know nothing they still work so strongly and i just think it's exactly the kind of thing that i want star wars fiction to be it's original it adds to the content that exists but it, and it's also this incredibly thrilling story like i was at the edge of my seat i was like i know what happens but i was still so <laughs> yeah. enthralled by it all and that's the real difficulty with with prequels you know that's the big thing with star wars when you write content in between eras or before and then there's all those questions about who's going to do this who's going to do that so i want to just say again you know shadow the sith is absolutely fantastic all of your stories in these certain point of view novels are in my opinion some of the highlights um of the three you know i love the pride one but i in empire strikes back when i was reading uh and it was uh, the witness as you said that story of someone basically loosely witnessing like luke and vader just a normal person mm. having no idea what to do with themselves I-, I loved that i thought it was absolutely fantastic so I'll give you just one last thing. If, is there any final things you want to say uh, to the audience? Yeah, I'll put links in the description and stuff. But any final words before we uh, wrap up? Well, it's funny to end on, but the Empire Strikes Back story—they kind of like it. the whole point of those books is the, the way they they change your perspective on the movies. Because mm. if you read the book, read each of the volumes, then you watch the movies, like suddenly they're kind of different. Which actually happened with Shadow of the Sith. Like, I was kind of surprised. I knew that it was going to change my perception of the sequel trilogy. But after I had, like, written the book and it was all finished and everything, I actually sat down and watched them. Because I've been going through them, obviously, you know, in some detail. But, like, I actually just watched the three as films. And suddenly, it's like, they hit really differently. Especially Rise of Skywalker. It's like, oh, my goodness. It makes it better. Yeah, when and, to be well, honest. yeah. And, like, when Dathan and Miramir appear, it's just like, that flash scene in like two lines of dialogue i was just oh my goodness these are kind of my i mean they're not, they're not my characters but it's like it's kind of weird because they were characters that obviously they existed but it didn't exist because they had their names they had nothing they were like two actors five seconds on screen so suddenly i got to kind of create pre-existing characters it's kind of weird but with the first back like watching the the sequence from when Luke falls down the kind of tube thing into that control room and then meets Vader in the kind of protracted, you know, scene. Especially in the control room, it's like now you're like you know there is someone crouched behind one of the consoles. <laughs> yeah. It's like suddenly in you know, that's the bit where eventually like Vader throws all the stuff at the bits of equipment and Luke the window smashes and Luke flies out to the window. That, that, that's that scene. And it's this kind of weird dark control room and there's kind of these weird consoles and things. It's like there's somebody crouched behind that console hiding. 
And then you see the corridor, this kind of weird corridor, which you get the flashback of, and I think that's the Force Awakens, that kind of weird triangular corridor. Like this character who's hiding behind the console then gets stuck in a kind of crawl space. She finds a panel and opens it, and then it's kind of like, there's someone stuck in that corridor. It's kind of weird. Like, it's completely meaningless, and it doesn't do anything to change the scene at all, but it's like, suddenly you're aware that, like, there's more going on, which is kind of funny. That's the um, beauty. That, that, that's the beauty yeah. of Star Wars. Well, it is. Yeah, that was fun, that story. So, yeah, Star Wars, there's, there's, more, there's more going on mm. than you can see. That's perfect. Yeah. And again, Shadow <laughs> of the Sith really helps that. I'd say, you know, I'm I'm not a sequel hater to clarify. I like all the trilogies, but I grew up with the prequels. So I think growing up with oh, yeah. the prequels, I already had the Star Wars uh, ready to ready to argue with people why I think these films are great, even though many people slate them. And I, I, I very much enjoy <laughs> the sequels. I will say Rise of Skywalker is probably my least favorite of them, but I don't hate it. But genuinely, Shadow of the Sith really, really elevated that. For me, one of the weakest things about Rise of Skywalker was the lack of Lando. And... We got a lot of Lando in Shadow of the Sith. So yeah, well, thank you, you know. for that. It, it's just, thank you for putting so many, you know, writing so many amazing stories, both inside and outside the Star Wars universe. I hope you continue to do so for a long period of time. Uh, and thank you so much again for coming on the show. So um, obviously I'll put your website in the description, but just tell people where they can find you. Uh, yes, uh, website is adamchristopher.me. Um, <clears throat> I tend to be on places like Threads these days, Threads on Instagram, which is Adam Christopher Writer. Uh, on Blue Sky, Adam Christopher. Me, I'm still on Twitter, Ghostfinder. Um, I can't lose that because, like, Ghostfinder is Star Wars canon now. It appears in the Aftermath trilogy. Um, the Ghostfinder fleet versus the Sith Armada. So, yeah, I'm stuck. But yeah, um, you can usually be found avoiding work online. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for your time adam it's been genuinely such a delight to sit down and speak with you about all your pursuits and i'll be i'll be watching your career with great interest <laughs> in the thanks for that thank you very much and that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, my friends, as I said in the intro, check out Adam's other information in the description, including his social media, his website, and those sorts of things. And don't forget to check out my other conversations with Star Wars authors, including Ethan Sachs only a couple of weeks ago, and then George Mann, Kevin Chinnick, Kevin Scott, and Claudia Gray. In addition to that, make sure you check out my other Star Wars content. Myself, Math, and Dave have been watching the Star Wars prequels, so you watched Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and gave those reviews on this very feed as well. And you can watch the video versions of those at youtube.com slash genuinechitschat, just like you could have watched the video version of this conversation with Adam Christopher, but you may already be there. If you are, check out the other stuff in playlists. And soon to come out will be the Clone Wars movie review with Math, Dave, myself, and Megan, and that's a soft prelude to the Clone Wars conversation show, which we are kicking off in 2024. That that's going to be once a month myself dave and math and occasionally megan potentially are going to be talking about seasons of the clone wars animated series so we did star wars rebels reviewed this year which was absolutely fantastic it was really really great fun so the whole of next year is going to be star wars clone Wars stuff and then in the future we may do bad batch and other movies and things like that tales of the jedi too but that's going to be it for 2024 
And if you've never listened to the show before and you're a massive Star Wars fan and you want to delve more into the canon universe, then make sure you check out my show Star Wars Comics in Canon. On YouTube, there's all the episodes of that there, or you can find it on its own feed or on the feed of Comics in Motion. And essentially, you don't need to have read a single Star Wars comic in your entire life to enjoy it. You just listen to any episode you want, and I go through the plot details of those comics in question of that day, and I give you additional information on characters and events and other information in the canon may have reoccurred elsewhere, and sometimes their Legends connections as well. So if you want to find out more about the comic world, which has a lot of cool stuff going on in it at the moment and you also want to widen your horizons on your understanding of the canon please check out star wars comics in canon in addition to that my friends find me on x instagram facebook and tiktok at genuine chit chat i post various clips and stuff across the various social media places instagram is probably where i am the most active and i'm also on threads as well where i cross post quite a few things there you can check out snippets of other podcasts i've done you can also check out photos of the star wars comics i've tackled and lots of other stuff that i've been up to like movies i've seen and occasionally photos of my dog willow if you want to support the show, you can in a number of ways. You can share the show with your friends. You can tell people about it. You can leave ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, on Audible, on places like that. If you send a screenshot of your review, send it my way. I'll send you a bonus episode. But the main way that you can support the show that really, really helps me out is subscribing to my Patreon. That is patreon.com slash genuine chat. Over there, if you subscribe, you get access to about 200 episodes of Afterthoughts right now. And we add at least one extra episode of that every single week. That's primarily myself and Megan reviewing TV shows, movies, things like that live performances sometimes, road trips we've been on, but also I release Star Wars Legends book reviews on there and a few other bits and pieces too. So you support the show, help me afford more and better equipment like a camera that I'm saving up for at the moment, and also you will get bonus episodes as well every single week so you will not feel empty-handed. And a quick shout out to all of my Patreon supporters because I couldn't have done conversations like this with Adam without you, so it's a big thank you to Rhea, Math, Brett, Scott, Dan, Dave, Brian, Tonya, James, Margaret, Frank, and Tony. You all mean the absolute world to me, and your contributions are just incredible, so thank you so much. Keep an eye out in the coming weeks for more Star Wars-related content and more non-Star Wars-related content, including Disney Discussions number 10, as well as there's a little bonus Christmas episode that myself and Dave have been talking about in the background as well, so keep your eyes out on that. But friends, I appreciate you all. I'll speak to you very soon with a new episode, and please tell Adam Christopher on social media how much you enjoyed this conversation, because it really helped me out in that way too. But that is enough from me, so I'll talk to you next week, and thank you as always for tuning in. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.